Hello and welcome to episode 7 of WNY Brews. My name is Scott. We are talking about a bunch of things this week. We're going to be talking about the Brewer Series cans from consumers in three of the local breweries. We're going to be talking about a beer trip I recently took. We're going to be talking about a couple of beer books. And then lastly, I'm going to be talking about kegging, uh, something I just did over the past couple of days here for our most recent brew. So that's episode 7. If you're drinking with us, we are drinking a uh, Ellicottville Pale. We're opening that up in three, two, one. Hello and once again, this is episode 7 of WNY Brews from WNYBrews.com, the podcast about and brewing in western New York. My name is Scott. I am a home brewer. I am a member of the Das Hausbrauers Homebrew Club. And this week we're talking about a bunch of things, just a bunch of stuff to cover. The first thing I'm talking about, though, is the Ellicottville Pale Ale that I'm drinking currently. It's uh, out of the bottle, out of one of my uh, beer fridges. I say one of my beer fridges, and I'm going to talk about that when we get to the kegging section. Uh, but it is an Ellicottville Pale. It's a beautiful color. It's got a great smell. And, and one thing I noticed about this as I was smelling it is you really get a, a, a malty smell out of this. I mean, you, you can sense the hops in there. Sense that was a terrible pun, and I'm sorry. I'm also sorry for that for that plosive on the microphone. But that was a terrible pun. You can sense the hops on there, but it, it has a pretty good malt uh, smell to it and a malt flavor. I've been drinking it here for, for about the last 30 seconds. I'm going to let that warm up and try it again. It's a great beer. Um, one, of, one of my favorites from Ellicottville. The other beers that we're talking about this week, and I, I had recorded this episode actually a couple of times with a couple of these beers, but now they're gone. The Ballpark Series, the Buffalo Brewer Series Ballpark Cans. I uh, got them from Consumers, got a three-pack for $8.99, which included the Community Beer Works and IPA, which is a phenomenal name for an IPA, right? It's an IPA. You walk into a bar, hey, can I have an IPA? Yeah, we got the Community Beer Works right on tap over here, right? Perfect. They also have that IPA, but this is an IPA, and I, it, I don't think it matters to you, but I prefer an IPA over that IPA. Also had Big Ditch Low Bridge, which are both references to uh, the Erie Canal, which was a hopped golden ale, if I remember correctly, which was also very good. Uh, actually, similar, reminds me of this Ellicottville Pale, although that was a couple of days ago, and my, my taste memory might be a little bit cloudy right now because I'm in the Ellicottville Pale. And lastly, the resurgent summer saison, which I I really enjoyed. I like saisons um, to an extent, and that really isn't the I'm sorry. The resurgent summer saison isn't a, a hard hitting saison, if you know if you know what I mean. It it wakes up the the uh, glands in the back there, sends sends a little bit extra into the mouth. It's not as sour, I suppose, is what I'm saying, as a saison could be. I, I thought it was great. The group I was with uh, included my father. Again, if you, if you listen to the podcast frequently, 
my father and I live next door to each other, so we do a lot of brewing together, and and we share things. So the <clears throat> the resurgent summer saison in the can, actually all three of these, I poured out some, he poured out some, and we got to try them together. The summer saison, he had a bunch of his friends over uh, playing music that night, so we all tried it. They all took a little sample of it, and a couple uh, twenty minutes later, my dad brought the can back into my house. And said, here, no, nobody out there is really drinking this. Why don't you just finish it? So I was really excited to finish the rest of that resurgent summer saison. So I don't know if they're still available, but if they are, head out to consumers and get the three-pack. The, the Buffalo Brewers Series, which is a collaboration between the three, brewer, three breweries, uh, Resurgence Community Beer Works and Big Ditch. And I'm, I'm not sure if, if that's something new or if other people around the country are doing that but that was the first time i've seen that a collaboration between the three breweries like that and all three of those breweries i went to on friday literally all three as well as flying bison the new flying bison of course because i i did it on friday so it wouldn't be the old flying bison so a, a quick backup here's here's what we did we put together a tour for a, a charity. Um, one of my dad's friends was, was throwing an event for a local group, and they put together a beer tour. And they said, Scott, could you, uh, they asked my dad, but he, he in turn asked me, could you put together a beer tour uh, for the group? We'll get a bus, we'll bring people on there, you can talk about the local breweries, and we'll visit them. So we put together four breweries that we could visit all within uh, a small area downtown. So we started off at Community Beer Works, went all the way down to Flying Bison because we had a, a tour scheduled there in the new Flying Bison facility. And Vinny was there and walked us through the new facility. And if you've, if you've never taken the tour of the new facility, please do. I took one of Flying Bison uh, back at their, at their old uh, location. So this was, it was completely different to see it in their new location. Then we went up to Big Ditch and then finished back at Resurgence, kind of making it full circle, starting at Community, coming down the Flying Bison, going up to Big Ditch, and finally to Resurgence. I'm going to give you a quick overview of that. In coming up with this beer tour, I started doing some research into the history of breweries in Buffalo because I wanted to pass some of the, the historical breweries on the way to the breweries that are, are still alive. And I'm hoping that people who, who know more about this uh, would agree with me when I say that there's been about three phases in Buffalo Brewing. There, there were the first brewers, there was the second wave, and then there's the current wave of breweries uh, that, that are in existence right now. So I had read Rushing the Growler by Stephen Powell before, uh, and I reread it in anticipation of this tour. But if, if you haven't noticed or if, if you haven't been paying attention to such things, there's a new book out too, Buffalo Beer, The History of Brewing in the Nickel City uh, by Michael Rizzo and Ethan Cox. Ethan Cox is the, the co-founder and president of Community Beer Works. So I got that book, and I'm, I'm going to disclose here that I got the book from the library. A bunch of the local libraries have Buffalo Beer, The History of Brewing in the Nickel City, and a bunch of them also have uh, Stephen Powell's Rushing the Growler, which is good because I originally uh, last year tried to find a copy of Rushing the Growler and it was really difficult to find. And the libraries do have copies of them. 
as well as the new one, Buffalo Beer, The History of Brewing in the Nickel City by Michael Rizzo and Ethan Cox. So I went to the library to pick up Rushing the Growler to take a look at again. And they also had Buffalo Beer, so I got it from the library. It was the Dudley branch, if you're looking for one. But don't don't go for that one now, because I obviously have them both checked out. <laughs> but the um, point is, I went through both books. I put together a tour. I downloaded an app on my phone to map out all of the historical breweries. And I spent a good two days. Um, I'm, a, I'm a teacher, so I, I don't teach during the summer. But I do have small children, so they were, two days last week, they were with my mother and my wife's mother. Just something that, that we do. They were at my parents' house one day, they were at my, my wife's mother's house a different day. So I took those two days and just buried myself into these books, taking notes, uh, researching locations, looking up everything I possibly could on, on Google, in my phone, in the books, and through um, message boards, I suppose, online. So I put together what I thought was going to be a great tour. We get there, and the people who were supposed to take the tour on the bus with us never showed up. So we decided we were going to take the tour anyway. I was pretty upset because I put a lot of time into this tour. Um, You know, mapped out all these things. One of those days, I spent the second half of the day driving around trying to find remnants of all of the uh, local breweries. And you can you can do a quick search online. I found somebody from uh, Buffalo Rising who put, I'm going to find his name while we're here, uh, who put the beer tour, a beer tour online, a Buffalo beer tour, and it's a driving tour. So... Here I am. Oh, it's at ForgottenBuffalo.com. Very sorry. ForgottenBuffalo.com, the Buffalo Brewery Tour by Peter Jabonski, repeated, uh, excuse me, reprinted from the Buffalo Examiner. I printed that out, and I followed it to a T and went to a bunch of these things. But as I was looking up on BuffaloRising.com, I also found ExploreBuffalo.com, and they have a uh, brewery bus tour, which I I expect was very similar to what I was putting together, but you you know with, with um, experts. So so anyway, we still went on the tour. We started off at uh, Community Beer Works, and guess who happened to be behind the bar but Ethan Cox himself, one of the authors of Buffalo Beer, the history of brewing in the Nickel City, and one of the co-founders of Community Beer Works and the president of Community Beer Works. He was sitting there. I looked at him. I said, are, are you Ethan? And he said, yes. And I said, I just read your book, Buffalo Beer, the history of brewing in the Nickel City. And he uh, talked to us for probably half an hour about it. They had them behind there at the bar, which was the first time I had seen it for sale somewhere, the first time I was somewhere where it was for sale. So I picked up a copy of the book. I got uh, Mr. Cox to sign it for me. And I now have a already dog-eared edition of Buffalo Beer, The History of Brewing in the Nickel City. Check it out. It's by Michael Rizzo and Ethan Cox. So both of these books that I'm talking about, Rushing the Growler by Stephen Powell, which is a, a quick read and in a good way. It's, it's good. It's got a lot of reference materials in it. And then it, it goes through the breweries um, individually and gives a quick history of each brewery. So it's, it's a quick in and out kind of book. You know what I mean? The first section of the book, I, I think, took me um, the, the small part of an afternoon to do. The first section of the book, just the first third of the book. And then the second two parts, you can get really more in-depth, or you could just read one story at a time. You can just look up 
one uh, Iroquois Brewing Company and read just about the Iroquois Brewing Company for five minutes, put it down, and then pick it up and, and start somewhere else. It's one of the reasons I love Madden as a video game. I, I think you understand what I'm talking about. Now, Buffalo Beer, the history of brewing in the Nickel City, is chronological. So that one is, is much more of a narrative history of brewing in Buffalo. It has a lot of the same information, and it has uh, additional information. And I think the real highlight of this book, apart from being chronological and, and slightly easier to understand in that way, um, is the writing style, which is easy to follow, and the pictures. The pictures in this book are phenomenal. The pictures in the other book are phenomenal, too. And there's there's a few that are in both books, but... you. You, there, you can tell that they really tried to get in-depth on this book. And when I was talking to Ethan Cox, he, he pretty much said so, that he really enjoyed uh, Stephen Powell's Russian Negarler and just tried to expand on it. So, Buffalo Beer, The History of Brewing in the Nickel City, which you can get from, I think, Barnes & Noble. You can get it right there at Consumers. You can get it at History Press. Dot net also as an ebook and rushing the growler i think you can get at the history museum so that's uh what we're talking about this week we were talking about the brewery cans we were talking about the uh books and we're talking about oh the rest of that beer tour and that's right so we started at community we ended up talking to ethan cox for for probably half an hour it was a great conversation i ended up drinking that ipa at at the um tap room there then we went down to flying bison we got the tour from Vinny. it was a great tour we drank uh red's heaven and oh, i'm not gonna remember something about a river to uh not take me down to the river something about the river go to flying bison and check it out something about the river it's not called something about the river i'm just i'm blanking on what it was at, at, right at this moment we went from flying bison up to Big Ditch, and it was my first time at Big Ditch. The parking was really terrible. <laughs> it was packed. It was it was extremely popular that night. Uh, again, it was it was Friday night. They were absolutely packed. Even so, it was still very easy to get a beer. They they were properly staffed. Uh, we got a table quickly. We got we got beers quickly. We got fries quickly. A good experience. A beautiful building. Uh, my first time at Big Ditch, and I got the Blonde Peach, which was a huge mistake. I don't generally like uh, fruity beers, and that is no exception. The Blonde Peach, it was, just wasn't for me. I'm sure there are a lot of people it was for. Uh, I tried everyone else's. I liked the Lake Effect. I'm sorry, not Lake Effect. I liked the um, Low Bridge in the cans. I like that a lot. I enjoy the ex Excavator whenever I get Excavator. I did not like the Blonde Peach. That's just me. You may. So then we finished up at Resurgence, and I got to tell you, I think Cornhole might be my superpower. This is my first time playing Cornhole. And first game, which got interrupted, so we, we, uh, we stopped that game. We forfeited that game. Nobody won that game. We went to the second game. By the time I got to the second game, I'm telling you, I, I think it's my superpower. I found my calling in life, and it's Cornhole. We, uh, we got the sponge candy, uh, of course for for uh, a couple of the people who were there who did not uh, ever have it. And, and you should have it. Have the sponge candy. I drank the Resurgence IPA, 
which was great. I had the opportunity to serve that at Bureaulogy at the Science Museum, so I was, I was well aware of what I was getting into. And that was our evening. We finished, of course, by making stupid food decisions, because that's what you do after uh, making beer decisions. We made stupid food decisions at a different place. Uh, I ate way too spicy food and paid for it the next morning. So that was our, our beer trip. Now, on to our main uh, topic. When I say our, I mean me and you. How you doing? I really appreciate you spending time with me tonight, or this morning, whenever you're listening. Kegging. Uh, not drinking from a keg, although I am going to talk about that just a little bit. I'm talking about kegging homebrew. When we started homebrewing, it was probably two or three batches in that we decided we needed to keg. And when I say we, I say I decided. We need to keg because I'm going to stop doing this because this is no fun. The bottling, the cleaning the bottles, the sanitizing the bottles, the filling the bottles, the capping the bottles. I did not like it. It added another couple hours to the brewing process. The brew day itself is, it, well, when we started especially, it was, it was long. It's a half-day process. Now, of course, it's a little slower because we've been doing it for a while. But that added another two to three hours onto this process because you had to sanitize the bottles. You had to mix in the priming sugar to add the carbonation to it. You have to fill all the bottles. You have to cap all the bottles. Everything needs to be sanitized. And then you need to wait which you should wait anyway, but I mean, you had to wait for these things to carbonate in the bottle. So a couple of beers uh, into this, not a couple of uh, drinking beers, a couple of brews into the hobby, I said, we need to start kegging. And then through a, a serendipitous uh, event, my dad is driving home one day from work and sees on the side of the road five corny kegs, five Coca-Cola pinlock kegs and asked the guy who's who's at that house hey are what's the deal with these kegs and he goes if you want them take them getting rid of them he used to be a coke distributor um and he said i don't i wasn't there so this is all third person that coke was switching over to to the bags and the boxes and and they don't want these things back and he was just trying to get rid of them because they've been in his garage for years and i can attest to that because when i opened them up to clean them out I'm not going to say that I tried some of the pop that was inside because they were completely full. I'm not going to say that I tried the pop that was inside. I am going to say that the pop that was inside them was really old and terrible. I'm not saying that I tried it, but trust me, that it was really old and terrible pop. Um, Oh, soda for people who aren't listening in West New York. Uh, Pop for everyone else. So these five pinlock kegs fell into our lap, kind of. And if you've been online looking for these or if you've gone to uh, Kegworks or, or Niagara Tradition or any of the local homebrew stores, these are expensive things, 40 to $50 each used. And if you want to go new, that's, that's even more. These ones were used, so I did go up to Niagara Traditions and get a bunch of new uh, gaskets and O-rings and some keg lube and I... I oh, poppets, too. And I completely uh, pieced these things back together. They were in great condition, because they were still full, they were they are in great condition, but I didn't know how old they were, and I didn't know how long the rubber would last in these O-rings and, and the gaskets. So I, I replaced things, and because I was there, I replaced the poppets. So they are beautiful-looking pinlock kegs that we have at the house. We have five of them between two taps, so we can always have three tapped. We never do because we, we drink faster than we brew, which is unfortunate. We really should switch that around. But 
we have three taps at the house. I have two in my dining room, and a huge thank you to my wife for letting us do that. Two taps in my dining room. I kind of built it into a bar, a butcher block top, which matches our table, and a, and a cabinet, and a wine rack, and uh, glass holders, and the whole nine yards. And the tap comes right up out of the butcher block, and we have two taps on there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain that kegerator just a little bit in just a moment because um, I, I highly recommend it. And I'm going to give you a link at wnybrews.com forward slash episode seven. You know what? I'm also going to put it at wnybrews.com forward slash kegerator because it's the kegerator I use here and I really like it and it was cheap. So I'm going I'm to put a link to that wnybrews.com forward slash kegerator. It is the KRS 2100, but we also have a tap outside. Um, not, I mean, it's in our garage, so it's not just outside. It's in our garage. We got a deal from one of my friends from the Bagged and Board cast. Check them out, bagdenboard.com. John was talking to his girlfriend's father who said, um, you know, I have this commercial display fridge that's not going to work in, in my store. Do you know anyone who wants it? hundred bucks. It's, it's one of those things that you would see at the end of an aisle at a grocery store full of Coke bottles or Pepsi bottles. So it's got a, a glass display on it with LED lights on the inside, and it's, it's really efficient and temperature controlled. And I drilled a hole right through the side of that thing and put a tap in it because what else would you do with a refrigerator that you put in your garage, right? So this thing lights up. It looks beautiful, even when you put a homebrew keg in the bottom. And I, I, they look nice because these aren't bad homebrew kegs. So this whole system, it, it looks great. Keeping bottles in there looks great. We keep our glasses in there. So we have the three taps at the house. And kegging has made everything so much easier. Instead of sanitizing 50 bottles or 48 to 52, what, however many it is per five gallons, we sanitize one vessel. We sanitize one keg. Since I just kegged 10 gallons, the process I went through over the past two days and when I say over the past two days, I mean when I, when I had time. I actually took a video. It'll it'll be up on WNY Brews also. I took a video of, of this process, but I was doing it quick because obviously I don't want to contaminate anything. So we quickly clean the kegs out. We sanitize the kegs. We take apart the kegs. So I take off the tops, and since they're pinlock kegs, the, the lids are not uh, pressure released. They're automatic pressure release if it gets too high, but it doesn't have the pull ring to, to manually release the pressure. Uh, I also took off the posts, and if you're not familiar with Pinlock, it has literally three uh, pegs sticking out of the, the beer post, and it has two pegs sticking out of the gas post so that when you put down the two uh, taps onto it, you can twist them into place, and they lock onto those pins. That's why it's a, a Pinlock keg, because it locks on to the pins. So, sanitize those Took out the tube, the uh, beer tube that goes all the way to the bottom. Took that out, put it inside the main uh, area of the keg. So took it out of its place, put it into the center so that that was completely submerged in the uh, sanitizing solution. I made up five gallons of it, put it into the keg, um, which I also do in between uh, every couple of brews or so to keep the lines clean, is I'll fill up a keg with cleaner or sanitizer and then use my CO2 to push that hot cleanser through the beer lines and through the taps. I'll also take off the taps on my kegerator and put those in a separate uh, 
bowl of cleanser and then sanitizer and then put the whole thing back together. So you clean the vessel, you take it apart so that you can sanitize everything individually, and then you fill it up with beer. I move my my uh, fermentation chamber uh, buckets, not chambers. I move my fermentation buckets up onto a chair the day before, and then I let them settle so that I'm using gravity to take the beer from the top all the way to the bottom. I only have to use my auto siphon one pump to get it started. I let gravity do the rest. Uh, I can put the lid of the fermenter almost completely covering it again. And then once it's filled, I put the whole keg back together. I leave the lid off, um, or I should say I leave it loose, and I'll fill the top, the headspace of that keg with CO2, and I'll let the CO2 run into it, onto the post, into it for, I don't know, 15 real seconds, 15 literal seconds, until until I feel confident that the oxygen is out of the top and it's just CO2, and then I let the CO2 seat the lid back into it for me, which means I pull the lid up so that it's going to uh, lock down, and the CO2, the pressure, pushes it into place. I lock it down, and then I put it on whatever amount of pressure I need for the volumes of carbonation I'm looking for. We just did a double IPA, so I was looking for about 2.4. Um, I let the keg cool down in the kegerator overnight. I put the gas on. I set it to, I think it was 13 or 14. I'm going to leave that for the next couple of days, uh, up to 10 days before I, I even try it. I'll back it down to probably 9 or 10 for my kegerator for the serving pressure, and we should do pretty well. The uh, final gravity, just in case you're curious, of this double IPA came down to about 1.004. So 10.04, it really got down there, and it started at 10.65, so we're looking at about 8%, 8.5% on this beer. And it it tastes like it. It's not a very balanced beer, but that's not necessarily what I was going for on this one. It's always nice when it's balanced, but this one is is not. You can feel this one. So that's kegging in a nutshell. Once again, I'm going to highly suggest the KRS 2100. I'm going to suggest... Uh, that you go to wnybrews.com forward slash kegerator, and I'm going to show you pictures of my KRS 2100 because it was cheap. It was, it was I think, $3.99 when I bought it on Amazon a couple of years ago with free shipping. And since then, I've converted it because it comes with everything you need. It comes with a two-and-a-half-pound tank, which I go and get filled at Irish, uh, which is Clinton Bailey Food Market. I get it filled at Irish. It takes about 11 bucks. Lasts me a couple of homebrew kegs or about one and a half, uh, half, half kegs that you would get at consumers. And I converted my, that uh, kegerator over to two taps, which was difficult to do but not impossible. And you'll see in the pictures that one of the taps is slightly offset in height to fit the shank on the inside of that tower because it only comes with a two and a half inch tower. However, I have a working two tap kegerator in my dining room with a five gallon tank in there and it fits two five gallon pinlock kegs, which if you're not familiar is a wider bottom keg, not than a normal half keg, but then a ball lock for sure. These are wider bottom kegs and it fits two fine. It fits a five and a half pound a CO2 tank right in the middle, and you can make it to fit two handles on this tap for about 400 bucks and free shipping. I mean, it's a great deal. This thing is quiet. 
they tell you not to build it into furniture, but I did, and it seems to be fine, although I did leave a lot of space on each side and around the back to let it vent out any heat that it was creating from the compressor in the back there. Um, so once again, wnybrews.com forward slash kegerator. And to get all the other links, to get a link to a community's website, to get a link to Resurgence or Flying Bison or... Um, Oh, man. the one Oh, Big Ditch. I'm very sorry. To get a link to the books, Buffalo Beer, The History of Brewing in the Nickel City, or to uh, Rushing the Growler by Stephen Powell, go to wnybrews.com forward slash episode seven. Otherwise, if you want to talk to me in any way, shape, or form, you can always call 716-391-CAST. That's 716-391-2278. You can tweet at wnybrews. You can find us on facebook.com forward slash wnybrews. And we are once again... Going out to the Rearview Ramblers, you can't buy beer with condolences. They let me use that for the theme song to this uh, show. And they were just at Canal Side. They opened up for Yonder Mountain String Band. So the version I'm going to give you tonight is a recording from their Canal Side show on July 2nd of You Can't Buy Beer with Condolences. We'll see you in Episode 8. Thank you for listening. Thank you.
Thank you guys, that's a Rearview Ramblers original.